Hi, my name is Jules Hamilton, and this is Keeping It Good, The Good Summit Podcast. I am so excited to tell you about the last guest for this series. There's probably going to be one more little podcast of some thoughts from me, but my goodness, what an incredible human being to talk with on this, the last of the second series of Keeping It Good. Linda Irvine is a former teacher and language rights activist in East Belfast, which may to some people just sound okay we're going to be talking to a language person here's the thing uh, linda irvine is from a protestant background uh, a real socialist upbringing in the north of ireland she lives within the loyalist protestant community and is a real irish language rights activist she has done more than so many others in trying to bring together people from across the divide on this island and use his language to do so and her love for the Irish language. I don't want to say too much because you will hear just how amazing the story is about how Linda got into it and what an understanding and love of language and history can do to reconcile, to bring peace and to make this world more good. It was such a privilege to speak with Linda. So here we go. Let's get into it. Linda Irvine. Geoguitch. Well, G is Maradich, but here we would say G Ditch. So already I'm in trouble. Remember you're an Ulster now. I'm an Ulster, absolutely. Always an Ulster man. Well, let me come us a tattoo. Oh well, again. J Mar tattoo in Ulster. Really? Yeah. Uh, am I allowed to say Gahintok? Oh, yeah, yeah. Get away from that. That's, <laughs> oh, that's one of the few conversations I can have in Irish is, is hello, how are you? I'm great. <laughs> uh, but obviously only in Leinster, Gaelic then. <laughs> so is, it, is that a massive change? No, there's not a massive difference. It's just some pronunciations and um, some of the grammar is different in Ulster. But, of course, we think ours is the best Gaelic here in this part of the world. <laughs> <laughs> do you know Do you know what? I'm, I'm, we haven't even got into who you are yet, Linda. We're already having fun. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I was driving up yesterday and I was listening to, I think it was Today FM. I can't remember, to be honest. But there was two of the presenters and there was an ad on the radio in Irish. And, it, and these presenters were falling apart uh, because they couldn't make out one word. And they're saying, we've done this for four. 47 years at school and this ad is just killing us and then they went I think she's from Donegal and that's why they couldn't make out is, is it so people really do kind of launch well, into each other in the Irish language I, do I find it difficult I mean if somebody say for Cork from Cork I find their Irish it's like sort of wading through mud it's really really <laughs> thick and hard and difficult you know but people that are, are very fluent yeah they're, they're okay you know they can understand each other and certainly you know to read it you would know it's a different dialect when you read it but you can understand okay. it perfectly do you know what Linda I have trouble with the English whenever I'm listening <laughs> uh, to people from Cork yeah. so it'll maybe like going over to Glasgow and listening to a Glaswegian same sort of thing Brilliant, absolutely uh, Linda it is a delight real honest delight to be sitting with you in Taurus 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 uh, on the lower east in Belfast, the Lower Newton Arch Road, a place of 
I'm trying to not use judgy words, but if you walk around this part of the world, you see red, white, blue paving stones. We have Freedom Corner, which is a magnificent display of murals of real proud Ulster men and women. A lot of violence has taken place over the decades um, in this, uh, in these streets. Um, and here I am sitting in the middle of all of that in an Irish language classroom. Please tell us the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it came about accidentally. Um, 11, what? Yeah, yeah, there was no plan. <laughs> 11 years ago, I, I mean, I was part of a congregation here in East Belfast Mission. I was part of the Cross Community Women's Group. We were women who, from the Newton Arch Road, East Belfast, who met and with women from the Short Strand. One week we met on this side of the, the, the kind of peace line. Mm -hmm. The following week we, we met on the other side. And <clears throat> mm -hmm. we did a six-week taster in the Irish language and Hitchman Raleigh and Changa, I fell in love with the language. I started going to classes in South Belfast. At that time, my husband was the leader of the Progressive Unionist Party, so it sort of made the news, let us say. I bet. And because of that, I, I had mentioned in an interview, I'd never done an interview before, but I mentioned the um, East Belfast Mission. They were then um, contacted by people from their own staff, people who lived locally, who used their services, and they said, you know, can we join this class? So, of course, there was no class. It had been a six-week taster six months before, but because of the interest, then they asked me, you know, would I help them start up a class? And that's what we did. We ran it as a, as a sort of voluntary thing for the first year. 20-odd people turned up on the first night, which is quite amazing. It just grew and grew. I was very fortunate. I applied to Forest and Gaelica, who are a cross-border Irish language funder, and they agreed to fund it for one year as a trial. Spent, you know, it was a small bit of money. It was £40,000. And... Um, that was to, to cover all the costs. I left my job. I, I, I sort of took a career break for a year, see how that would go. And, and you, it just you were exploded. a teacher? I was a teacher yeah. in a uh -huh. local secondary school here. Uh -huh. So it just exploded. We had one class, which became two classes, which became three classes, which became four classes, which became five classes in the first year. And I knew then I was never going to go back to teaching. Wow. You know? Well, I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that something that was holding hands across the peace walls, you know, let's, you know, you hear things like cross community women's group all the time. Love that. I love that work. I've been involved in that from the youth angle all my work in life. Uh, but I did not know that one of the results of a six week taster course in getting to meet your other actually resulted in you falling in love with the yeah. Irish language. That is Superb. Yeah. Well, something I would never have had the opportunity to, to do, to engage with, that I had no knowledge of. And then when I discovered it, it was it was something so wonderful. And I know, you know, um, the majority of my learners would come from the PUL community. And so many of them would say how learning Irish has enriched their lives. So you just said most of your learners do come from the Protestant yeah, loyalist community. Yeah. Um, Started off. They would have been probably 99%, you know, locally spelled fast, Protestant. Mm -hmm. And over the years, now as I say, we're going 10 years, that has changed, that's developed. Still, the majority of them come from East Belfast, but they also come from a very wide area. 
and 65% now Protestant, 20, about 23 to 24% from the nationalist community, and the rest would define themselves as others. And what was it that made you fall in love with the Irish language? You had such a smile on your face whenever you said that Mm -hmm. in Irish and stuff. You really, something here really grabbed you and really went deep in. Well, Well, I think there's a number of things. I mean, I'm obviously British, Mm -hmm. but I've always, you know, regarded myself as Irish Mm -hmm. within a British context, Mm -hmm. the same Mm -hmm. way as somebody who's Scottish and British or English and British. Yeah. And so, you know... I felt then the language belonged to me as well. Also, when I was sort of, you know, started to learn about the language, one of the things in Irish is when you say that you speak Irish, you don't say Lorm Gaelic so much like I speak Irish. You say to Gaelic Ogham, which means I have Irish. Wow. And I really liked the idea, you know, that this was part of who you are. This was part of your identity. And I remember thinking, I would like to be able to say to Gaelic Ogham, I'd like to be able to say it's part of who I am. Now, I'm a slow learner and I, I don't find learning easy. But over the years, you know, my Irish has got better and better. I've just finished my second year at Queen's doing a degree in Irish. Mm-hmm. And I think now I can say to Gaelic Ogham. Absolutely. That sense of it comes from you. You've got it. Mm-hmm. And it's and it it's something that um It's part of who you are. Part of it it's an identity yeah. thing. I, I've always like I've I've said it before many times, but I always kind of considered myself like a romantic nationalist. I I was I was a Northern Irish Ulster man. I was Protestant. I had a British passport. Uh, I wanted an Irish passport. I have one now. When I moved to Dublin uh, many years ago, I, I made sure and did that. But there was always something about this island which I thought I was missing out on, and it wasn't that I was being reactive against any part of my own tradition and my own history because that's that's what made me me mm-hmm. um and but i always just had this little itch or little yearning so what I, it's what i came to call a, a romantic nationalism i went to dublin and discovered that actually not an awful lot of people <laughs> kind of thought that my romantic nationalism was either romantic or nationalist at all but 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 i i love i love that the way into that for you was was the language and the and the language owned you yeah. rather than you owning yeah. it? My my colleague um, Gordon McCoy, um, I mean Gordon again Protestant, um, lives in East Belfast, and he said that when he learned Irish, he, he started learning Irish at university in his twenties, and he's a fluent speaker now. But he said it gave him a sense of belonging, mm. rooted him in this place. Mm-hmm. How how does that happen? How, and, and, and have you heard that from other people from, from say, the local community who have learned Irish? Is, yeah. is, there a, is, there, is there a more grounding for people, maybe? I think there is. And I, I mean, we know that one of the problems that we have in this place is this idea of identity. Yeah. And, and I always feel people from the Protestant community who deny their Irishness. And for me, Irishness is not about my religious tradition. It's not about my political viewpoint. It's about the fact that I was born on this island. Yeah. And that doesn't matter whether, you know, it was north or south, because again, I'm not talking politics, I'm talking, you know, geographical position. So I feel that people from the, the, the PUL community who deny their Irishness are saying, I don't belong here. I'm a usurper. I'm from somewhere else. Mm. Where I'm not from somewhere else. I'm from here. 
they, I may have Scottish ancestry. Um, when I look at my, my own background, I certainly do have some Scottish ancestry. I also, my grandmother on my mother's side was a Catholic woman who converted. And my grandfather was a Presbyterian with a very Irish name. So, you know, like most people, I have a very mixed ancestry because I'm of this place. And yeah. I'm also of these islands. And you mentioned a Presbyterian relative there. Is, if I'm right, and, it could, and I, you, you would know more about this than I do, but in terms of the Protestant faith, uh, which can in these days be quite reactive against things that are seen as Celtic or Irish, um, I know that there was there was early Methodist preachers who, who preached on horseback in Irish around the island. I just heard recently that that was the same for Presbyterians. There were, there were well, Irish-speaking Presbyterian congregations. More so for the Presbyterians. I mean, I, I am a Presbyterian myself and didn't have much knowledge of my own tradition. So in the 1830s, the Presbyterian General Assembly called the Irish language our sweet and memorable mother tongue. And wow. in the 1840s, it was a requirement for all of their trainee ministers to have a knowledge of the language. And that's when you look back at the early Presbyterian church in Ulster, there's quite a number of people who are, you know, Irish names because they've converted from Catholicism. But also then the, the, the during the plantations and prior to the plantations, people who came here would have been mostly Lowland Scots speakers. Mm -hmm. but many of them were also Scottish Gaels mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. spoke Gaelic. Now, the Gaelic language is known now as a sister language to the Irish language, but it was originally the same language, same as the, the, the Gaelic speaking, spoken on the Isle of Man. And, um, you know, so there's, again, I, the, the language for me doesn't sort of set me apart. It shows the familial ties between these islands. It's part of the family of Celtic languages, and Celtic languages were spoken all over in England as well. There's lots of Celtic place names. I mean, I'll give you one instance. Um, the word door is the old Celtic word for water, and we see that in place names. So, for instance, Gidor in Donegal uh -huh. means the water inlet. Okay. And here, Carador in yeah. Northern Ireland yeah. means the water quarter. Well, that's the same word that you see in Dover. Okay. It's an anglicisation of door. Um, the same with Avon. We have a word Owen, which means river. And that in England has become Avon. So the river Avon wow. is basically river, river. <laughs> you know? So when you look that's at That's not all very things, imaginative, is it? River, <laughs> so, river. But those are the Brilliant. things that just fascinated me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you think we just don't know our history? Yeah, yeah. I think sadly, you know, and I, I do a lot of talks with groups from the unionist community, when you actually put it out to people and you show them these things, they're fascinated. They see things with place names. And so many, you know, Protestant unionist men have said to me, why was I never told this? Because unfortunately, the only thing they know is Chucky Arla, mm -hmm. which isn't very good grammar for Irish. <laughs> 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 you know? This podcast is proudly supported by the amazing folks at Thought Collective, a team of designers and developers who create brands and digital products to captivate the crowd and communicate effectively. They make the Good Summit look great. Check them out at www.thoughtcollective.com.
But that's true. That is so true. There's one or two um, Irish phrases that, that Protestant young men learn. Chuck Erla and Pogamahone. And I'm yeah. glad I said in Irish because yeah. I can't say it in English <laughs> yeah. on a podcast and like this. they aren't this. really selling it. They're not really selling it. You know, they're not doing it for me. No, but there's so much, you know, and I always say, and I, I don't deny the, the kind of Republican history with the language, and I wouldn't try to. But what I say to people, which is just a fact, is if you think of the language as a very large cake, and you know, you've got your native speakers in different parts of the island, you've got the, the fact that it went over to Scotland, you've got the you know the links with the Celtic languages, you've got the different links to all different organizations that you would regard as very Protestant. And, you know, you've got the work that's happening today in schools and just, you know, the love of the language of people. Well, you know, the, the situation with the Republican movement is a very small slice of a big mm-hmm. cake. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't deny it happened. But, mm-hmm. you know, does it have to colour everything? No. I, I don't know whether this this is an unfair statement or not, because you're, you're so right. And my mind went straight to, given how we started this conversation and my kind of few phrases of Irish being Leinster and you immediately corrected me to good Ulster Gaelic. I, I'm just thinking of whenever I was watching Jerry Adams on the news speaking in Irish. Were there Leinster Republicans sitting watching the TV, banging their head against the wall, <laughs> saying you can't say it like that? Possibly, <laughs> Who knows? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Linda, I, my heart, in, in my tradition, my heart is strangely warmed uh, with all that you're saying. It's, this is maybe a, a bit of a harder question. I don't think you can be involved in doing what you're doing and telling me the things that you're telling me from the background that you've discussed and have that really easy. I'm sure as well as the wonderful figures that you've given, you know, like whenever you started off, you said there was like 99% from the local community here. Um, um, that, there must, be a, there must be a toll to that. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it has been over the years. It's been difficult because I have faced, obviously, as well as a lot of support I've had, I've faced a lot of criticism. I have lost friends. And I think, you know, I've had some family members who have not um, been happy about what I what I do. Um, and why wouldn't they be? Well, because they unfortunately see the language as Republican. They see the okay. language as okay. belonging to... Um, Sinn Féin they see and, and sadly for some of them you know, some of them you know are just out and out sectarian yeah. and that's, that's an unfortunate yeah. thing and then you, you kind of get the you get the, the, the um, you know get targeted by them um, it's a lack again a lack of understanding um, a lack of knowledge and sometimes I find that people who have sometimes really really strong views on the language know little or nothing about it, don't know anybody who speaks Irish, have never engaged with anybody who speaks Irish, but they want to tell me, you know, how the whole Irish language sector works. And I say, well, mm. you know, have you ever been to a class? Have you ever been to an organ? No, wouldn't I wouldn't go there. Right. Well, then, you know, yeah. how do you feel equipped? Um, but as I say, it's one thing when somebody attacks you on social media who you don't know. It's harder when it's people that you do know. Okay. That, that is difficult. Okay. And times over the years, it has been quite a lonely place because, you know, I have been the target. I, I am the one with the, the target on my back. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, 
you know, so we're an organisation and I have some really, really great people around me, but I'm the one who I suppose is, is the face out there. Um, recently, last year, we, we started up a, a school, an Irish mm-hmm. um, integrated mm-hmm. Irish medium nursery school. Now, we were very keen on this happening because a number of our parents over the years had shown a, an interest in immersive education and the benefits of bilingualism. That exists in Wales, it exists in Scotland, yeah. it exists in the Isle of Man, it exists in the South of Ireland and it yeah. exists here in Northern Ireland, but mostly within nationalist areas. So we wanted to do that. Now, Irish medium schools are what are was non-denominational, mm-hmm. but we wanted to go one stronger. We wanted ours to be integrated. We thought that was mm-hmm. very important. So we're the first time Super. the integrated sector and the Irish medium sector wow. come together. So we're the first ever. So it's really groundbreaking. And yeah, we got an invitation. We were, I was teaching Irish up in Braniel Primary School, which I you know, we still do that very successfully with the agreement of parents to all the children. And while we were there, we were made aware that there was no mobile at the back of the school that wasn't used and that we could rent it with the agreement of the, the Board of Governors and the EA, which happened. And as soon as that became public, an online hate campaign started and mm. it got really nasty. In the end, we decided it was probably safer for our children and for the, the brand new primary school children to pull out. And That's, <clears throat> that is sad. It you, was, because you, it was you, 16 three-year-olds, you know, from you, East Belfast. So you went from a six-week taster course where you fell in love with the Irish language to starting a movement that is connected with the real roots and history of the area in which we're sitting in the Lonian Arch Road at the minute and you, you've brought recognition you've grown classes you've taught history um and now 10 years later you were starting you were starting an integrated yeah. joint language <coughs> school yeah. that's that's remarkable are there are there plans to try to develop that in other ways given what we, you've just described we continued um we managed to get another venue and we spent a year with Christian Fellowship Church up the road. Okay, there. yeah. We've just left them. The, and we're the upper George <laughs> Road. <laughs> yeah. And, um, well, actually on the, the Belmont Road. It is, it is. Yeah. And um, yeah. <laughs> so we then, um, we've just got a new venue and um, we've had 25 expressions of interest for September. That's absolutely brilliant. And, um, yeah. That's amazing. And, you know, we, we, we can't, policy publicise things just maybe the way we'd want to um, but word of mouth is spreading and people you know, I think parents and we did a bit of feedback with our parents from this year why they chose East School and they showed that even though we didn't have any outdoor space even though we're not very well resourced even though we were in a shared hall we're going to put everything away every day mm-hmm. and when you compare that to some of the beautiful nursery schools in East Belfast mm-hmm. why did they pick us and they picked us because they believed in our ethos. They wanted their children to get the benefit of immersive education, but also the integrated ethos yeah. as well was very important to them. And <laughs> language-wise? <laughs> I have hay fever. That's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you're, you're doing really well. Feel free to, to keep sipping no. away and, and coughing. It's not, not a problem <laughs> at all. Um, well, can I ask? I remember sitting... 
Um, so you you would do Irish language classes in a nursery school? No, you see, this is what's interesting oh, because okay. you don't teach children. I mean, well, obviously we teach Irish here the adults, yeah, and we do it with families and things as well. But in immersive education, nobody is taught a language. You speak They're taught it. through a language. Brilliant. Yes. So yes. everything that we do in the knee school and the nursery is the same as an English medium nursery, only in scenarios. So the songs, the rhymes, the games, the activities, you know, the language of the everyday is all just done through Irish. So wow. it's very repetitive. You know, find a coat get your coat Taurus Jack, come in, see she sit down, you know, be a and you know, be quiet. I sat with a, a, a neurologist a few years ago to talk about the brain and for whatever reason, languages and children came up and he said, it's fascinating if you put the the uh, the little nodes or whatever it is in somebody's brain or the, the, the brain of a child and, and you speak a different language to them and... Uh, he said the bit of the, uh, oh, I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but what I heard was that the bits of the brain that are sparked uh, through what you just described, immersive education, <clears throat> that they, they don't need to learn a language. It becomes part of yeah, of how yeah. they speak. Well, well, we know. And then I mean, that changes. Yeah, there's been a lot of research done into the benefits of bilingualism. I mean, Absolutely. throughout the world. And they know that it, you know, it switches on all these abilities, not just in you know language, but also mathematical. And what they say is, children who <clears throat> learn another you know second language at an early age, then they are more resilient in many ways because they know that there's more than one way of going at something. And um, I, I just find you know, I just find the whole thing fascinating, and. Just the benefits that are there for children just through being immersed in a different language. Incredible. Linda, one one more set of questions, uh, if I may. Um, what an incredible 10 years. Uh, you've started something amazing. You're, there, there are Irish language schools and classes in the Lower East. Uh, you have an MBE, and I saw the photos from Hillsborough, uh, which were just amazing and it's so well-deserved. What's next? Okay. Well, I mean, we want to develop the work here, which we are doing. We want to develop our tourism programme here because that's a way of us bringing in our own funding, which helps us to support mm-hmm. ourselves. But with the NISCO, we want a permanent site. You know, Very we good. want to yeah. grow bigger. We want to provide for, you know, that opportunity for more and more parents within East Belfast. And we want to become a bond school. We want to become a primary school. Yeah. So that is really, there's a lot of work involved. But, the, you know, we can show that there's a demand. You know, we have to turn people away. Because Seriously? there's just not enough space. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, you know, why shouldn't parents in East Belfast be able to have the same opportunities as parents in other parts of Northern Ireland? Well, do you, is there a vision for tourists around the whole of Northern Ireland? Is, is there, are there outreaches? We have a small number of outreach work that we, we're doing and um, we, have, we have other small groups which we're trying to help to grow. It's, it's difficult. But, you know, what we would also like to see, and I suppose that's our, our big vision for the future, you know, we want to see a time in Northern Ireland where you don't judge somebody's religious tradition or political viewpoint because they speak Irish because mm-hmm. it would just seem ridiculous. And we want the language to be accepted. You know, we want the bias towards Irish speakers to stop. 
and you know the the kind of fear there's been around sometimes this idea that you know if you speak Irish in certain areas then it won't be accepted well why would it not be accepted you know so we want an end to that we want the Irish language community to be so diverse that you would never judge who or what anybody is because they speak Irish so really you are at the work of reconciliation and peace Very in our communities yeah. because language doesn't have to be something that divides yeah. us. It no, can be no. something that unites us. Part of our work here, you know, there's just friendships and relationships created. We've yeah. also had two marriages and one baby. So now that, that's quite a friendship <laughs> or relationship created, yeah. <laughs> uh, Linda, long may it continue. Um, thank you for all that you do for this area and for the wider island uh, through your work. You are a powerhouse and you are doing incredible things. So, Garamila Mahagat. Oh, good on That was perfect. Wow. That was Keeping It Good with Linda Irvine. What a legend. Uh, what an activist. I was really struck by just a chance happening, like a brief six-week Irish language course that was just a taster session to try to get people across the divide in East Belfast. And here we are a decade later with some incredible life and reconciliation and peace being carried out uh, in Belfast and beyond. I'm so glad you could join us. I'm so glad Linda is doing what she's doing. And I hope that she has inspired you to keep doing what you can to make the world more good. So listen, one more little brief thought um, before this series wraps up, but thank you so much to Andy and the staff, our production team and keeping it good. And oh my goodness, Go on to Twitter, follow us, check us out on Facebook because we have some incredible news coming up for the autumn for the 2022 Festival of Good. I don't think you're going to believe some of the stuff that we're going to be doing. It has been an absolute delight and charm getting into the second series and we already have some amazing guests lined up for Series 3 coming at you at the start of the autumn. Listen, peace to you. Have a great summer. This is George Hamilton inviting you to go on, get out there and keep it good.